0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone that's located in the United States, Canada, and other regions around the world where it is the morning. Shalom, which in Hebrew means peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh today we're gonna to talk about uh something perhaps you have maybe not heard of before uh It is a traditional Jewish holiday It's called Tubishvat. two tu in Hebrew means fifteen and Shivat means of course the month of Shavat and it's gonna happen when the sun sets uh, this evening um uh, but uh That's based on the Jewish calendar. I'm not going to get into all the calendar conflicts and everything that people like to get into. But um, what I'm going to do is um, talk about what the day represents and how it is linked with the judgments of God, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to talk about that a little more in detail, how the day is uh, certainly linked with how God judges us, uh, the fact that he wants us to bear fruit. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, today. So what is Tu Well, Tu is really based on what the Jews have taught about various different starts of the year. And in Judaism, there are four new years uh the first one's on the 1st of Nisan between March and April and that is the new year for kings and for the festival so in Exodus chapter 12 it says it should be the start of the year for you that's referring to uh, the start of the year as far as being able to calculate uh when we are able to keep the uh, holy days or the moadim of Yah which is uh found in Leviticus chapter 23 And then, uh, number two, on the 1st of Elu, which is uh, between August and September, you have the new year for the tithing of animals. And then on the 1st of Tishri, which is September-October, you have the new year for years, the sabbatical years and the jubilee years, and for planting and for for vegetables. And then the one we're going to talk about today, on the 1st of Shabbat, between January and February, uh, the new year for the tree. These are the words of the House of Shammai. The House of Shammai and Hillel. They were two, uh, two. Uh, I'm trying to use the right word here. The two different uh, factions or uh, divisions, major divisions of Judaism back in the first century, and the House of Shammai uh, actually taught differently than the House of Hillel in some areas. The House of Hillel says on the fifteenth uh, that. Uh, Tubishvat should be celebrated, but the house of Shema uh, thought, uh, or Shemai stated that it would be on the first of Shabbat. So, so we're we're going by the, the reckoning of uh, the house of Hillel on the 15th, and that's what the Jews go by today as well. All right, so to uh, quote a little bit from Judaism 101 about this, it says Tubishvat is the new year for the purpose of calculating the age of the trees for tithing. And then uh, see Leviticus 19, verse 23 to 25. Let's go ahead and turn there. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 23 to 25, states plainly, And when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit of them as inedible and forbidden, uh, to you for three years This shall be, not be eaten I'm reading in the uh, Amplified version of the Bible In the fourth year All their fruit shall be holy For giving praise to the to the master But in the fifth year You may eat of the fruit of the trees That their produce may enrich you I am the master your Yah Alright so that's Where the tradition of Tubishvat Is uh, taken Now I know some of you May have been taught Oh we don't do any Jewish traditions Blah 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 Well there's no organization, including God's organization, of believers that don't have tradition, folks. Let's let's understand that. Let's have a little short course on that here real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is in the King James Version. It says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Messiah. And so Paul was telling you to follow him as long as he's following Messiah. And in verse 2... Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Now, what does that word ordinance mean in the Greek? Well, ordinances mean in the Greek transmission, specifically the Jewish traditionary law. Ordinance, tradition, that's what it means. And so he's telling you to keep the traditions that, of course, Yeshua kept. And he did keep some traditions, folks, despite when people are... Some people are erroneously teaching. Uh, Acts chapter 28, verse uh, 17, states the following. And it came to pass that after three days, Shaul, which is Hebrew for Paul, called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, the customs, and that and that word means in Hebrew, not in Hebrew, but in uh, Koine Greek or Hebrew Greek ethos, and it means um, custom. Yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans? So he said he did not violate the customs or, or the traditions of the Jews, the customs of our fathers. All right, of course, he didn't violate the ones that didn't trample upon the the law or the Torah. Yah meaning God, short in Hebrew for that. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, let's turn there. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, states plainly, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions, the same word that is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for ordinances, So it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Okay? So, let's turn to John 4, verse 21 to 22. John 4, verse 21 to 22. This is a significant... uh, well, all the Scriptures are significant, but as far as this Bible study is concerned, this is very significant, this passage of Scripture. John 4, verse 21, Yeshua said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And they're talking about uh, the setting or background or environmental setting. Is, is uh, He was talking to this woman, and he was near the area of Jerusalem or the West Bank. Verse 22, you worship ye know not what? <coughs> We know what we worship, for salvation is of the, did he say, the Muslims, the Catholics, the Protestants, uh, the people who believe in Buddha, and other various religions? No, he says of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What is truth? Psalm one nineteen one forty-two. 142, truth is all the commandments and doctrines and teachings of the book called the Bible for the fathers seek of such to worship him God is a spirit and they that worship him must not maybe must worship him in spirit and in truth in keeping the doctrines and commandments of Yah and then 1 John 2 verse 6 says we should walk and follow Yeshua's example and 1 John 2, verse 6. 1 John 2, verse 6. He that says, He abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Alright, so as far as Tubishvat is concerned, it has nothing to do with violating Scripture. If anything, it helps you better understand the Scriptures in terms of how. God talks about a man or a woman being like a tree that should bear fruit. That's what Tu is all about, and that certainly is not violating the scriptures to understand that. Okay, and then also the the day of Tu Bishvat um, represents also the fact that you should try to take care of yourself and take care of the body that that Yah has given us. And... Let me continue to, to to read this quote from Judaism 101. Tubishvat is the new year for the purpose of calculating the age of trees for tithing. See Leviticus chapter 19, verse 23 to 25, which states that the fruit from trees may not be eaten during the first three years. The fourth year's fruit is for Yah, and after that you can eat the fruits. Each tree is considered to have age one year as a tubishvat. So if you planted a tree on Shabbat 14, it begins the second year the next day if you plant a tree two days later on Shabbat 16, it does not reach its second year until the next 2 Bishvat. There are a few customs or observances related to this holiday. One custom is to eat a new fruit on this day, or to eat, and the day begins uh, when the sun sets this evening based on the Jewish calendar. One custom is to eat a new fruit on this day, or to eat from the seven species, uh, Shabbat, Hamanim, in Hebrew described in the Bible as being abundant in the land of Israel. The Shavuot Hamanim are wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. This is based on Deuteronomy 8, verse 8. You can make a nice vegetarian um, plate from the Shavat Hamanim, a bed of cooked bulgur wheat or wheat berries and barley topped with figs, dates, raisins, and pomegranate seeds, served with a dressing of olive oil. Some people plant trees on this day. That's what they're doing in Israel right now as I'm speaking. In my childhood, Jewish children commonly went around collecting money to plant trees in Israel at this time of season. And see, biblically, trees are compared with the following, mankind, and Torah. So, uh matter of fact, let's turn to Proverbs 3, verse 17 to 18. Proverbs 3, verse 17 to 18. The following, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. See, and in this context, it's talking about wisdom or Torah. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. So you see that to, to Bishvat sure is a good thing. It's a good day to observe. It's not a Shabbat. It's not a day where you don't take off from your job unless you can. But it's a day that we should at least acknowledge and do, do some studying on how uh, we should take care of our bodies and how we should bear fruit. And so, this is what I like to teach about it, too, is that we should desire for tikkun olam, that's Hebrew for healing and repairing the world. That's in Isaiah 58, verse 8 to 12. Let's turn there. Isaiah 58, verse 8 to 12. And and don't worry, I'm going to talk about how this has something to do with how God judges us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 8 to 12. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy help shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the master shall be thy re-reward. re-reward in Hebrew means asaf, and it means to gather, to take away, to assemble. Uh, Then shall thou call, and the master shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am, if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. And if you draw out thy soul to the hungry, and so during Trebishvat, as the Jews do with all the holy days and all the uh, minor holidays uh, that they observe, they they think about someone else other than themselves. They think about the poor. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness as the noonday. And the master shall guide thee continuously and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, and thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. And so that's how God looks at us uh, as... Uh, a, a spring of water like a, We should be like a water garden Again, it's taking us back to the tree picture uh, So I just hope that you understand What this uh, Tu is all about here And trees certainly are a symbol of immortality and eternity As a matter of fact, tree of life, that was that symbol um, Of immortality And then Revelation chapter 22 talks about the following here Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. It says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. Here we go again, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Okay, so, uh, you can celebrate this day by uh, eating fruits. um trying to reconcile any issues you've had with somebody, repairing and uh giving to the poor, uh meditating on how you should bear fruit, how you can become a better person spiritually. That that's the that's the ways to observe uh to Bishvat which begins um uh, Sunday night and ends Monday night. So I just thought I'd tell you that. And it's up to you whether or not you want to do it. And uh but I think it's a good day to observe. All right. So, what does this have to do with the judgments of? Yeah, well, quite a bit. Uh, well, let's put it this way: I, I God just led me to something, and I have to talk about it today. And I don't know if you, any of you are paying attention to the news, but there has been a tremendous winter, winter storm, a tremendous uh, winter storm that has occurred um, in the east on the east coast. Now, remember. What happened January, not January, but uh, June 26th of last year, folks? Do you remember? And I did mention that God is going to judge this nation. I didn't know how or when, but I knew that he was going to judge this nation and let this nation know that he didn't appreciate one of the worst rulings in Supreme Court history. that uh, says the Supreme Court rules gay marriage is a nationwide right. In a 5-4 decision, justices say the Constitution guarantees marriage equality to gay and lesbian couples. So, uh, We noticed that it certainly has something to do with Sodom. It's not all the sins of Sodom, but as I've tried to explain to this program, and I know people try to object to this, but it's plain in the Bible, what was the one event that caused God to finally wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? It was when he saw all the homosexual activity there. That's not the, 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 the only sin that caused it, but that certainly was the the last straw for him, and that was it. He needed to see that for himself. And I know one teacher of prophecy was saying that he he uh, didn't need, well, it's in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 18, he says he's going to go down and see whether those things are so. It's right in the Bible for anyone to see. And and uh, he wanted to see for himself before he uh, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to see it with his own eyes. And so uh, in the form of Yeshua Messiah in his preexistent form, he came down with those two angels, and uh, they both saw, for themselves. The uh the other evil of Sodomy and uh one of the examples of Sodomy of course is uh homosexuality and let me um tell you what the other sins of Sodom. You don't have to wonder, it's in the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter sixteen. Ezekiel chapter sixteen he tells us plainly what the sins of Sodom are. So we we don't have to scratch our heads and try to figure it out on our own. And it's not just homosexuality, folks. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, and I preached it. I don't hear hardly anyone preaching this, you know, and I wish they would join the party and start preaching it. If there is someone preaching it, I wish I would know who it is. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here's the sins of Sodom, folks. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance. You know, Jews, they teach this. I'm just talking about Christians, okay? or Messianic Christians, or Messianic uh, Jews, or people in the Hebrew Roots movement. Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, okay, uh, having too much, abundance of idleness, or laziness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor. They don't want to help anybody. That's that's a part of being a Sodomite, whether you want to understand that or not. If you don't care about people, you're Sodomite. Verse 50, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw fit. And so those abominations certainly include homosexuality, folks. And some people are teaching incorrectly that that's not a sign of the end times. They're nuts. They're totally out of their minds. They need to think. Uh, The fact that a major nation that is a part of Israel, uh, and I've proven this over and over and over again, but a simple way to, to prove it is if you just study Deuteronomy 32 and 33, those chapters reveal that Israel consists of a people who are obese or overweight, uh, people who have the best resources, they're located in the best regions around the world, and, they, of course, they have access to God's words, and they are rebellious against those words. There's no other people on the earth but the Western nations that qualify. Uh, when I talk about Western nations, I'm talking about the British people, the United States, the countries in Northwestern Europe. They are fat people. We are fat people. We're overweight. We got too much. We're spoiled, and and uh, we do certainly fit the characteristics of 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 uh, someone that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. We have pride. We have certainly fullness of bread. We certainly have an abundance of idleness. Uh, we 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 just don't appreciate hard work and effort like we used to. Everything is push button today. Everything is we want we want convenience. And we certainly don't strengthen the hand of the poor and needy like we should. Matter of fact, we have almost close to 50 million people in this country that are on food stamps. That's ridiculous. And we have the most billionaires in this country. And so we certainly, as the Bible has prophesied in Isaiah chapter 3, that we are full of Sodom and Gomorrah as far as those sins are concerned. He even calls our people uh, in the first chapter our heads of our governments leaders of Sodom. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 states, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Master has spoken. It's not Kenar speaking, this is the Lord speaking, so listen up. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. That's one of the common characteristics of Israel as well. To rebel against someone, obviously you knew about them or you had access to their words and you didn't obey them. Verse 3, The ox knows his owner and the as, his master's crib, but Israel does not know. This is a prophecy uh, trying to explain to those who are Israelites or those who aren't, but they want to understand who they are, that the the majority of of people who are Israelites don't even know who they are. They don't even know that they're origin. They don't understand it. There's even a book called Origin that was written by Yardaviti that you should read anyway the ox know of his owner and he ass his master's crib but israel does not know my people don't consider that we're considering hebrew means understand they don't understand and then the word know is yada in hebrew and it means uh to know they don't comprehend they don't understand and then then hosea 4 verse 16 says or verse 6 says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge and what I'm, I'm going to start preaching more about this because I, I know that the devil does not like this message. He does not like the message of Americans and Britons and Canadians and, and Australians, South Africans, understanding who they really are. He doesn't want them to know that. He wants them to stay stupid. You know, he wants them to, to not understand who they are. But in verse 4... He says, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, and this is a prophecy, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. <clears throat> you know, and I have somebody teaching that ham's a bad seed. Well, I guess all of Israel's ham, you know, but but that's that's a false doctrine, and that needs to be rebuked. But in verse 4, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. He calls us all a seed of evildoers because we're not repenting. But the good news is that most of Israel will repent. The Bible reveals that. Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. That's how they rebel. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone backward. And Stephen, before the the first saint, uh, he stated the following about our people. Hold your place in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. This is a common trait of our people. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And then verse 52, and I understand this, boy. Which of the prophets, and I understand this because I preach a prophet's message. I, I preach what the prophets preach. They preach that you should repent and that you should help people and they should care about people. You should give to the poor. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that message. Verse which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers? You know, so it, it even existed in the first century, and it still does today. You get somebody preaching the truth, they don't want to hear it. You know, they, they doubt God's words and what he says, and, and they have all the excuses. Well, do we have all the books of the Bible. Uh, You have to know Hebrew to understand the Bible, which is false. That's another false doctrine out of nowhere. Because if that's the case, then there's going to be a lot of people not making it. Because uh, before this renaissance of Hebrew, what did the Jews do? How did they communicate? They, They communicated through different languages. Do you understand that Hebrew was rediscovered in the 20th century, folks, back in the 1940s? Prior to that, what did the Jews do? How did they learn the Torah? So, you know, that that is a fallacy that people have been brainwashed into thinking that you must know Hebrew to understand the Bible. That is not true, folks. If that's the case, God didn't know what he was doing when he uh, divided the... Uh, he created the different languages. He was responsible for that. And then also, he didn't know what he was doing uh, when he... Inspired the or gave the uh, emissaries of the apostles the ability to speak different languages. Why did he do that if Hebrew is mandatory to understand the Bible, folks? I mean, sure, knowing Hebrew helps you better understand it, but it's not required for salvation. And people need to stop in this space, the Hebrew Roots movement especially, need to stop teaching that. Some, some are teaching that. Some are actually giving the impression that you must know Hebrew to understand the Bible. And I know that not to be true. I debated successfully. A, a conservative rabbi. I didn't. I didn't know Hebrew. I'm learning it. I didn't even hardly know it at all back then. What you need to know, though, is the Jews understand how they are and how they think, and how they have interpreted the scriptures. That you should know to understand the Bible. You should understand the Jews. You should have a uh, should should read some books on understanding the Jews, and so that you can better understand the Bible. That you certainly must do, and that's much more important than learning Hebrew. I can guarantee you that. So anyway, um, so let me let me go over what I'm trying to to go over here. So back in Isaiah, and this this program may go over past 45 minutes, folks. So if it does, then you have convenience uh, that has been prophesied about as far as having the best resources. This 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 got through talking about that, and you could certainly listen to. This program in the archives, 24-7, please take advantage of the these programs while you still can, folks, because eventually we're going to get into a time where truth is trampled upon, is already trampled upon, but literally trampled upon, and uh, uh, programs like mine, which not too many are out there like mine, uh, will be taken off the air. And so... You need to to take advantage of this. and Just because I'm not charging doesn't mean it has no value. So you need to uh, understand that, and um, you need to take advantage of it while you still can. Anyway, Isaiah 1, verse 4, All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. And then verse 5, Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. So he's talking about the governments of the Western nations. Uh, those regions I told you about they're sick verse 6 from the soul the foot even into the head there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been clothed neither bound up neither mollified with ointment which means that we should be using essential oils and herbs uh, for the healing process and that's not taught instead we use what is called in the Bible sorcery or pharmacia. that's where we get the word pharmacy and most of pharmacy is not good for your bodies and it's destroying our bodies Verse 7, your country is dead. This is what's going to happen to this country eventually. And I'm going to get into this and how America, if we don't repent, will be destroyed. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. This is what's going to happen in the future if we don't repent. Your land, strangers devoured, and your presence is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughters of Zion, this is a prophecy of women in the future, in the 21st century, is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, talks about the daughters of Zion. Zion is in Jerusalem, all the tribes. That was the capital of all the tribes of Israel. All right. Verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, and he is going to leave a very small remnant for the elect's sake. Those days shall be short, remember. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been as, as likened to Gomorrah. And then he calls our people today. Verse 10, hear the word of the master, you rulers of Sodom. You rulers of having pride, of, of being lazy, of having too much, of not giving to the poor. Those are the kind of rulers we have today. Give ear unto the Torah of our Yah, you people of Gomorrah. Those are the kind of people that we have today. And in Isaiah chapter 3, as leaders, and in Isaiah chapter 3 is a prophecy that's being fulfilled as I'm speaking. As I'm speaking. Verse 1. For behold, the master... Of hosts, thus take away from Jerusalem and from Judah. That means all the 12 tribes, all those regions around the world, including the, the nation of Israel, and the little nation of Israel in the Middle East, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, the ancient, the captain of fifty, the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And that is true. We have people that are spoiled brats that are ruling us today. And the people shall be oppressed, everyone, and the people are oppressed. Everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against them. And I mean by oppressed, people aren't making the money they should. And the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother or the house of his father. And so, as God does, when he judges people, and people seem to forget this, even those, those people who preach prophecy and claim to understand prophecy, they don't understand how God judges people. Ezekiel chapter 14 states plainly how he does it. It says in verse Ezekiel 14, verse 12, the word of the master came into me saying, uh, Ezekiel 14, verse 12, and Ezekiel 14, verse 13, son of man, when the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, grievously, <laughs> that's it, uh, just grievously, and of course, ruling, having the, the judges of the land, the top judges of the land, ruling that homosexuality is okay, certainly is trespassing grievously, then I will stretch out my hand upon it and will break the staff of bread, so he'll cause economic problems, and then he'll send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. That's what it will lead to if there's not repentance. And, and then in verse 14, it says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver their own souls by their righteousness, righteousness of keeping the commandments, Psalm 119, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, no man may pass through it. And so anyway, I just wanted to show you that's, that's how Yah typically judges any nation. And then in Jeremiah 18, verse 17, Jeremiah 18, verse 17, he states the following, and he's an equal opportunity Yah, or God. So this applies to any nation, not just the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh Jeremiah 18, verse 7, it says, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it? And remember, in the first chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet not to just to Israel or the 12 tribes, but to all the world, all the nations of the world. Jeremiah 18, verse 7, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And it works the other way around, too. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, whereof I said I would benefit them. And this also proves that all nations should be keeping Torah. Why would he even say this, if his whole intent was not for everyone in the entire world to obey his Torah? All right, so... Uh, We are getting to what I want to make a point, a a significant and major point. I hope you're paying attention. Uh, That happened almost seven months ago, folks, that abominable ruling that will change and is changing Western society as I'm speaking and the entire world. And it certainly has something to do with the genesis or the beginning of the, the days of Noah. Certainly it does in the days of Lot because the days of Lot you had homosexuality all over the place and uh, Yeshua said before he comes, it's going to be prevalent again. All right, so we know all these things. And there has been a tremendous winter storm, a record-breaking winter storm in the area where the Supreme Court ruling occurred, folks. I am not surprised this happens every single time. We make foolish decisions. Our leaders make foolish decisions. God lets us know that he does not like it. And the incredible thing about this particular storm is called Jonas, or Jonah. Okay, and we understand the story of Jonah, right? Uh, We're like the end-time Ninevites, the way we act at times. Uh, uh, The the prophet Hosea stated that uh, Ephraim, and when you understand who Ephraim is, and you need to get this wonderful book. Now, you got to understand, Yir Davidi is an Orthodox Jew. He doesn't understand that Yeshua is the Messiah. However, the majority of that book is correct, what he's saying about the United States uh, and, and the British people, the British people and the United States having something to do with Ephraim. Okay, so you need to get that book. You need to go to his website, www.britam.org, and get his updated version. I just ordered it. Uh, Ephraim, the Gentile children of Israel And it helps to understand Because people are confusing the Hebrew roots Moving about whether we're Gentiles Or or a part of Israel And that, that book will certainly clarify That uh, understanding But anyway The Washington Post D.C. area record snow totals for Jonas Snow totals have reached 22 to 35 inches west, north and northwest Of Beltway 18 to 24 inches inside the Beltway says, this storm named snow (laughs) Wizza Snowzilla, Snowzilla, (laughs) that's the snowiest on record for Baltimore, second snowiest on the record at Dullies, and it's tied for the fourth snowiest on record in D.C. And so God is um, letting people know that he uh, did not appreciate that ruling, and I know that uh, Koenig, he focuses a lot on uh, the fact that we are contributing mightily toward the division of, uh, of the land in Israel, and that's true, but I don't know if, um, I don't know, I, I, I also feel that because of the ruling that this is occurring, too. It says, Washington is being called Snow snowpocalypse here in the nation's cap- capital, and some biblical prophecy watchers think the name may be apt. It's not so much that it signals the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world, folks. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about the fact that God punishes. <laughs> he punishes everyone he loves, folks. And he has mercy. He's had mercies up to six, almost seven months now. But eventually, I, I did state this when it happened almost seven months ago, that I know God is going to judge us for that. There's no way that he's not going to. I know how he is. And you can get to know how he is, too, by studying the Bible. All right? And I'm not surprised that this is happening. All right? Um, but many see Megastorm Jonas as a kind of signal from God, and it is part of a long-standing pattern of corrections from the creator of the universe for the U.S. whenever it seeks to divide the land of Israel or hurt the nation, the Bible says, is the apple of his eye. Not only that, but also a correction as far as the ruling that they made or telling you know, telling us who have eyes to see and ears to hear that he didn't appreciate that ruling, uh, despite what people are earnestly teaching about it. Uh, saying that it was something that was okay or whatever. That's, that's bull. I mean, how is that okay, saying it's okay for two people to, of the same sex to marry? That's not okay. He sees an extremely strained relationship between Israel and Barack Obama's administration as relevant to the timing magnitude of the storm. And so, yeah, that that has something to do with it, too. But all, this is certainly a judgment because of that ruling. I, I truly believe that. And then also... Um, Something else that I wanted to uh, talk about as well in relation to to Bishvat. Now, to Bishvot, let me just read this from the. Uh, let me go back to Jeremiah, chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah chapter one, verse twelve. Actually, verse eleven. When he when he tells Jeremiah what his commission is to uh, be a prophet to the nations in Jeremiah 1, verse 11, moreover, the word of the master came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And then verse 12, then said the master unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And, and you know, people, when when there's something like that ruling, it's, oh, nothing has happened. Oh, he's not going to do anything That doesn't mean he's not going to do anything, because God has mercy, just like he had mercy toward the Ninevites. He's going to have mercy toward us. Jeremiah 1, verse 11, uh, I'm going to read the uh, IVP Bible Background Commentary, which is an excellent commentary. I, I suggest anyone get the commentary so you can understand the background of the scriptures that you're reading. Jeremiah 1, verse 11, the almond tree. The almond tree reached a height of 15 to 30 feet. It was the first tree to blossom in late... January or early February. That is the same time of Tu Bishvat, ladies and gentlemen. I find it very interesting that God is doing these things right around the time of Tu Bishvat. That's the linkage here. The almond tree. And I got this, by the way, from Mark Blitz. Uh, he kind of alerted me to it, so I'm just giving credit when it does. Uh, I'm giving credit when it's due. Uh, Mark Blitz. Uh, he pointed out this scripture, so I'm just going. I'm just elaborating on it. Jeremiah 1, verse 11, Almond Tree. The almond tree reached a height of 15 to 30 feet. It was the first tree to bloom in late January, early February, around the time of Tu The almond flower is white with shades of pink, ripening with almonds about 10 weeks later. And so that's very interesting that he's doing this right around this time. And keep in mind that... God is still going to be merciful. He's merciful, just like he was merciful to the Ninevites. But eventually he has to judge, folks. He has to judge. He is not going to allow us to continue to sin without understanding why (laughs) that we're sinning and that uh, we are violating his law, ladies and gentlemen. Not Nahum is a prophet that hardly anyone studies or understands, but uh, Nahum chapter 1, verse... Verse 2 states plainly, and this is uh, when he judged Nineveh, when they, they they had repented originally, then they got back into their filth. And in verse 2, God is jealous, and the Lord revenged, and the master revenge of and is furious. The master will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserved wrath for his enemies. The master is slow to anger. Yeah, he's slow to anger, all right, just like he was slow on, on, on not really judging uh, Washington, D.C. for what they did, you know, the the Supreme Court. And will not at all acquit the wicked. So he's not going to acquit the wicked. Eventually he's going to judge. But he's going to be merciful in it. The master has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds and the dust of the feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries all the rivers. So he has his way in that. He punishes through the weather, ladies and gentlemen, just as he's doing right now as I'm speaking. And and this, this storm is is really bad. It's really bad. And... and uh, this is something that um, I'm not surprised at all that's occurring. And you shouldn't be either if you really understand uh, the judgments of Yah. So it's, it's, it is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we got to understand that God is not playing around and he does not appreciate um, us making idiotic rulings that shows our idiocy. You know, and and we got to stop acting like idiots, and we we have to uh, we have to uh, understand. It says, now this is interesting. The, this storm is called Snowzilla. It's the biggest snow on record in Baltimore. Top five in D.C. has ended. Now it's ended, but it's it's a record-setting uh, snowstorm. Now, are there going to be other judgments? Well, we have to wait and see. But I just thought that I would bring that out to you today, how how very interesting that this is happening around the time of Tubishvat, Bishvat, ladies and gentlemen. And another thing that I want to emphasize, um, I'm going to be going off the air soon, but I'm going to probably be on here another 5 or 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And so uh, for those who are listening to me, Um, this program should be available in the archives uh, approximately, uh, probably going to get done about 1130, and it will be available probably in 10 to 15 minutes or around 12 o'clock, and then you can listen to the the program in its entirety. But I must get this done, and I'm not going to rush. So shalom. Okay. I'm in the archives now, uh, in the archive session. And I, I just want to make uh, another significant point about Tuvishvat and how it links to God's judgments. And first of all, another Psalm. If you can read Psalm chapter one, it's all about Tuvishvat. And then Psalm chapter ninety-two, verse twelve to fifteen. Psalm chapter ninety-two. Psalm chapter ninety-two, verse twelve to fifteen states the following, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar, or the Seder, in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish like they're planting in Israel right now, in the courts of our Yah. Verse 14, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no uprightness. There is no uh, unrighteousness in him. And that's that's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to be uh, a tree that has no unrighteousness in it. And so that that's the goal. That is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. We should be that way as well. So let's turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Wait till you turn there. And then I'm going to turn to Luke 6 to help you understand what he's talking about as far as fruit. But I think it should be pretty plain just just going to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, states plainly, Then... Said he to the multitude that came forth to be immersed of him, O generation of vipers, that's a snake. You know what a snake does, it can bite you and suck you up, right? Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay. So, this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. The second Elijah led in a generation of vipers. But let's, I mean, th- this is very significant, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, the third Elijah is going to live in a generation of vipers as well. And vipers, uh, I'm looking at my word study dictionary here, is used metaphorically of wicked men, described as a generation of vipers. And so, all the generations of Elijahs, of all the Elijahs, the first one, the second one, and then the third one, who who may be alive right now as I'm speaking, um, they are all... Will live in a generation of, of viping or 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 people being wicked in a wicked generation, which will of course will spawn or birth righteous a righteous generation as I explained last week here's a solution to not being a viper folks bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, fruits worthy of repentance and that and that's we just can't say, "Oh, I want to obey God." I mean, you have to prove to God that you want to obey Him, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you have to do. You just can't just say, "Oh, um, I I I I am a person who is righteous," and just take my word for it. No, no, he 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 needs to see more than that. Luke three verse eight: Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. They have to be worthy of change, worthy of you changing, turning around, repenting. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham or Abraham. Verse 9, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Here we go again to Bishvat, the picture of us being a tree and bearing fruit. Every tree therefore which bringeth not good fruit or good behavior, is honed down and cast into the fire. And then for proof of this, as far as defining what the fruit is, uh, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And so, uh, right here in verse 38. Oops, where is it? Okay, here we go. Luke 6, verse 43. four. good tree bringeth... Not forth corrupt fruit. Neither does the corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Verse 44. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. So now he's defining what the fruit is. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And so we have to, to, to have good behavior. That's what the fruit that the great prophet uh, Yokan the Immerser or John the Baptist was stating here. And he states, uh, and he gives us an example of the kind of behavior that we need to exhibit to show that we have truly changed or, or want to change. And he says that if we don't change, we're going to be destroyed. Verse 10, and the people asked him, saying, that's why they asked him, what shall we do then? In verse 11, he answered and said unto them, He that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that has meat or food, let him do likewise. Verse 12, then came also the publicans of tax collectors to be immersed and said unto the master, What shall we do? In verse 13, he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Verse 14, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. So that's the linkage also with Tubishvat. If we don't bear fruit, then we will be judged. We will be judged and destroyed if we continue to not want to bear fruit, ladies and gentlemen. So that's the point that I wanted to make about that. Um, and I hope you understand how Tubishvat has. A, a lot to do with how God judges us and how he will not judge us. He won't judge us if we uh, do righteousness. And so study uh, the first chapter of Psalms and pray for our nation. Pray that that there will be a Ninevite type of repentance uh, as the book of Jonah reveals. Pray that that happens because if it doesn't happen, this, this nation will be destroyed. The Bible has certainly prophesied about that and I... Um, Yah willing, I will be I will be talking about that in the future. And so pray for our nation. Uh, we're going through some tough economic times right now, but that's not surprising. The Bible prophesied that there will be famine, economic famine, uh, whenever we uh, do or make um, major uh, decisions that are not moral. So with that, may Yah bless and keep you. And Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch.